0: You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is The Agenda.
0: On Dubai Eye 103.8. This is The Agenda Podcast. Thanks very much indeed for uh, downloading and listening in. Georgia was away on a Tuesday morning, Tuesday, January the 30th, in fact. She'll be back tomorrow, so worry not. Uh, Normal service will be restored. But in the meantime, uh, we had a variety of topics. Big focus on all things healthcare. Big focus on safety on our roads. A carbon footprint of the healthcare industry was also uh, under the uh, investigation. And, of course, we looked at the world of sport, news uh, and uh, a new initiative up at Expo City. So hello going on on the agenda. Have a little listen in and as I said, we'll be back live tomorrow from 10. Bye bye. Let's kick things off with One of the big talkers of the day. Yeah, three words. You just mention them and you get a response straight away from your listeners out there. Cost of living. Uh, And that is uh, our first topic of the morning. Uh, Cost of living. living Cheaper than other parts of the world. Ask one of our listeners out there. Please ask these researchers to come and live here on an average salary and consider salad cost. Lunch delivered every single day. Car rental. Additional cost of mileage over the standard mileage consumption. DWA, emical, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If they come and compare food at the Union Co-op and not a staying in every day of your life, then yes, that might be cheap. We are starting today with the topic that everyone has an opinion on, the cost of living. How is it feeling for you? Safe to say, the Facebook boards—just a lot of people are feeling the pinch right now. Perhaps uh, this is something that sounds familiar to you.
2: Okay, so looking at your budget, just from like a financial planner point of view, mm. uh, you can't really afford your current rent with your income at the moment. Yeah, I know. Well, have you thought of moving further outside the city?
1: Yeah, I have. It's just that I move further away from the city every year. And then the further I move away, the more it costs me to get back into the city where I work. So kind of the rent I'm saving is is redundant, if you know what I mean. Have you thought of a side hustle? Make more money. Y- yeah, I have considered a side hustle. Very nice. Um, it's just that I'm time poor. Um, time poor plus regular poor.
0: Computer still says no, but while rents have definitely risen in the UAE, it seems we've got it easier than many other global cities, apparently. New research from global statisticians Numbio have found, or has found that Dubai is the 58th most expensive city in the world when accounting for income versus expenditure. Uh, They come behind New York, Hong Kong, Sydney, London, Copenhagen, and Dublin, among others. Abu Dhabi, meanwhile, fares even more favourably, coming in at 85th. Most expensive behind the likes of Oslo, Amsterdam, Edinburgh and Galway. What's more, once rent is removed from the equation, neither Dubai nor Abu Dhabi even ranks in the top 100 for living costs. So, are our cities actually more affordable than we perhaps... Realize, do we take it for granted? We've got an expert in studio to help try and address some of those questions. We might not have all the answers, but we can certainly point you in the right direction. Financial independence coach, founder of Dead Simple Saving, is of course Steve Cronin, who's been kind enough to join us live in studio. Morning, Steve. Good morning good to see you as well um let's do the uh, the the list first and foremost this uh, list from numbio are we oh, oh, oh not we but are you personally surprised to see our cities so far is it up or down down the list
3: you have to take these surveys with a bit of a pinch of salt um so um i think directionally they can be interesting but uh, they're really there to generate media articles as far as i can see so so um, we love to think that Dubai is number one in everything. And it's a bit of a shock to discover that there are more expensive cities out there. Um, the thing is, like with many cities, particularly uh, Dubai, uh, it's a city of many lever- levels. If you want to live in a palace and you can afford it, you can live in a palace. If you want to live very, very cheaply in the middle of nowhere, you can. So, so really, it's about choosing your level and whether you can bear to go down a level and maybe you imagine that your friends and colleagues are laughing at you behind your back, but maybe they're secretly jealous that you're, you're brave enough to, to do that. So I think it's about finding your level without being miserable.
0: With, in terms of the list, though, and again, I don't want to linger too long on the list, it, 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 it begs more questions than it delivers answers at the moment. But one thing that is interesting is that lists like this bring us together around this table. They get people texting in left, right and centre. So if you were to put one of those statisticians, one of those words I can't ever speak, uh, say um, uh, hats on uh, from Numbio and you're putting together this list, Can you see why the UAE could potentially fare well against other global cities?
3: Yeah, I've actually broken it down. And and the nice thing about Numbeo is that uh, it doesn't just do a cost of living index. It does a rental index. It Mm. does a groceries index. It does a restaurant index. And uh, so what we see is that um, rent, if I compare 2019, so pre-COVID when things were kind of normal and then now, uh, rent we Dubai is the 44th city in 2019 has gone up to the 29th and that's starting to seem a bit more uh, realistic I mean maybe it's a shock that there are 28 more expensive cities out there but still quite high up in terms of rent uh, in terms of groceries um, languishing down at 182 so your milk's still quite cheap restaurants 125th I think what's particularly interesting is that when you compare salary versus expenses which is what it's all about really Actually, Dubai is not doing too bad and it's got better over the past five years, which suggests that pay rises may have uh, kept it at least at pace with the cost of living and uh, better than other cities. So I know people are going to be phoning in saying like, I haven't got a pay rise, but compared to some other expensive cities, the pay rises have been sufficient to make the pain slightly less bad than some of those truly expensive cities. So that's some good news. It,
0: it, the, and I, I, again, I suppose, and when you look at it with the fine tooth, co- tooth comers, you have you can find those elements, those rays of hope, if you like. But yep. there is one that that is causing all the chat. We heard it in the little clip there, and it's all to do with rent at the moment. Um, <laughs> Again, you know, not your first rodeo. You've seen this this, this, this not just the property landscape here, but the but the city as a whole grow over the years as well. When you do do the sort of compare and contrast, and again with other global cities around the world, other major cities, if you like, where does our rent sort of stack up in terms of the amount we are spending
3: uh,
0: of our take home at present?
3: So, um, I I think it is you know it, rent is clearly. Uh, as we said, like twenty ninth most expensive city in the in the world, um, maybe we have to adjust that down compared to our salaries. So like slightly, slightly better. Um, but I would say, you know, probably in the top forty, mm. fifty cities in the world. And uh, but again. Dubai has many, many different places and some of them are wildly popular at the moment and some are less popular. And so so uh, you'd almost have to go area by area to, to compare.
0: Yeah, I, I, I get that, Steve. But then I, I, I think I go back to a point that, that was made a little bit earlier on, you know, this whole th- idea of going, okay, if you want to find cheaper, go further out, et uh, uh, Could we make the argument that other cities around the world, other global cities might have better connection into and out of the cities than we do here because we are pretty limited the metro is brilliant uh but it has its limits to a certain degree um and there aren't many other alternatives apart from public transport and getting in your own car as well
3: that's a fantastic point and uh, in london you can go a very long way in 30 minutes on the tube and, and more people i guess are prepared to use the tube as well um, here the traffic is Pretty heavy, and uh, and so that is making living further out much harder. So what you need is a kind of uh, convenience factor to be factored into this cost of living index. And I think people are having to suck up the rent and then having to say, well, where is the money going to come from? Mm-hmm. Side hustles are not easy. We're all tired and work hard at the end of the day. So um, it, it is about then saying, well, what sacrifices are we going to make? To, you know, maybe you just have to have fewer brunches. But that's kind of facetious, right? Because, like, we know people working hard and still can't afford brunches or don't even want brunches. You know, you're having to make some real sacrifices here. Um, Like, what are you having to say no to? Which is a good discipline, but it's no fun to say no to things, to say no to friends inviting you out or to say no to fun activities with the family. Um, I think we're going to see more of that. Hopefully, things are going to calm down a bit in 2024 maybe uh, i don't have a crystal ball we're starting to see maybe signs of of the the property market just calming down a little bit so hopefully the pain won't continue
0: text messages as we predicted are coming in thick and fast at the moment here comes another one from one of our listeners Uh, feel free to put your name uh, with these equally you can uh, text us through anonymously should you wish Uh, my rent went from 80k a year ago to 150k a year Uh, same place no additional benefits my housing allowance hasn't got uh, an increase uh, or seen an increase since I joined as this is not mandatory by law that's I'm sure one sentiment that's being shared by many uh, across the city at the moment Uh, again i suppose i go back to this and i don't want to labor the point about rent but a the facts are rents going up at the moment b um they keep going up as well so is that playing on people's minds that you sort of got to be not just thinking about paying your rent that month but thinking will i be able to afford this property at the end of this year
3: yeah, it's a, absolutely. It feels unsustainable. And that's why some people are jumping into the property market, even though it feels a bit peaky, right? Uh, to, to just get out of that whole stressful situation, especially if you have kids or something and you want some stability one answer you know the other lever is the salary and it may be that you have to look for another job it's not easy to get a pay rise when you stay in that company why should they suddenly put the housing allowance up in line with the index they just most employers don't but um the global economy is reasonably good at the moment the dubai economy is the uae economy is reasonably good at the moment and so there is space for employers to put their um packages up if they want to attract the top talent so always have that peripheral vision open for another job you know that is a potential answer to your problem if you're feeling really squeezed
0: Cost of living, I uh, just have to say the phrase and the text messages keep coming in. Uh, we are talking cost of living right now. Keep your messages coming up while expenses might feel high at the moment. New research, in fact, suggesting we've got it pretty good. Uh, we've got it a whole lot better than residents of many other global cities, allegedly. Uh, a global cost of living study by Numbio has found that when accounting for income versus expenditure – Buy cheaper than 57 other major cities. That includes New York, Hong Kong, Sydney, London, Copenhagen and Dublin, among others. Abu Dhabi, even better, coming in behind 84 other cities that include Oslo, Amsterdam, Edinburgh and Galway. Even better, once you remove rent from the picture, neither Dubai nor Abu Dhabi even ranks in the top 100 for other living costs, such as food and utilities. Steve Cronin has been reading the report. Uh, he's a financial independence coach. He's also the founder of Dead Simple Saving. He's still with me here in the studio. Um, Look. No big surprise, a number of of the comments coming through from listeners out there um, are surprise, uh, some aghast, uh, some saying who comes up with these surveys as well. But again, I mean, I'm always cautious, Steve, of using the word bubble. Uh, Despite being a West Ham fan, I don't like using the word bubble because (laughs) it seems to be something of a swear word here in the city. No one wants to acknowledge it. But if we were to sort of suggest there is a little bit of a bubble, I mean, do people underestimate just how expensive it is in other parts of the world. If you spend time here, to become immune to that?
3: I think uh, you go to live in Singapore or New York or Zurich or Bermuda, it seems, topping the list, uh, you'd be astonished. I mean, I nearly fell out of my chair when someone said how much a, a flat in a good location in Singapore was. Mm. And so uh, these places are genuinely expensive relative to the income so um, this place is expensive, but it's, you remember there's no tax as well, which does help a lot, mm. right? Hel- helps a lot. Um, at the end of the day, I, I only care about how much you can save. It's your income minus your expenses. That is the big thing, right? So so you, you have to make sure you're not getting too, squeezed too much. Otherwise you're literally on that hamster wheel, just working, 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 working to survive. And if you're not enjoying that, well then what are you doing? And then, you have to as an expat certainly you have to have something to save at the end of this you know you have to build your own pension you have to have some investments whether that's property or stocks and bonds to uh, generate income for your future right otherwise uh yeah when you get to 60 65 and your time is done here maybe earlier uh, you will have very little to show for it and you won't have any safety nets right mm. there's no state pension for expats here right so so if you want to stay here or even if you want to go back you have to start investing now, and if you're spending all your money in rent, then you're going to have a nasty shock down the line.
0: Which you, you 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 bring up a really interesting point because you know a lot of people will be asked, you know, have you thought about your future? Are you setting aside for life after work? You know, when retirement comes around, etc. And yet any environment, any economy comes with its risks at the moment. And uh, well, it might be corrections, where it might be people looking towards, the, as you mentioned earlier, crystal balls and seeing is it going to be the same as it is in January, as it will be in December this year, etc. We never really know what's on the horizon. So is it essential, especially in a country like this, where there is that incentive, that impetus, that need to work almost, a visa-driven environment, that you're not just having something aside for retirement but you're having something aside for what might be just around the corner as well
3: yeah absolutely and and you you have to have that emergency fund you know i I like to say six months total expenses that's how you measure it is in expenses if you suddenly lost your job how long could you survive uh without changing your lifestyle at all and uh you know that's why i think you need six months in cash these days you can get five percent on cash in instant savings so so that's okay Um, but you really you really do need that money um, and that helps to reduce the stress because if you need to, that money can go towards a sudden rent increase if you get blindsided by it. But I think it's also particularly about surviving the next year or two because I can't see rents going up so continuously year after year after year. And, and, and those of us who've been in Dubai over a couple of cycles have mm. seen that it does go down and it does go down pretty hard. You know, during COVID, like rents were like shooting down. And uh, so... That will save you as long as you can just grin and bear it for a year or two. Again, I don't have a crystal ball, but I feel like things will get better.
0: Just tapping into that experience you mentioned there, you know, and having seen the market fluctuate, the ups and downs here as well. Has the the savings landscape changed here or the perceptions of savings changed during your time here?
3: Yeah, I think so. Um, I I first came to the region in like 2006. And uh, there was a lot more emphasis on having having a good time. You know, I I like to say like, you know, in those days, it was kind of a teenage city, right? It was all living for the moment and partying. And uh, people would be embarrassed to say that they were um, you know, trying to do two-for-one deals or anything like that. Whereas I think these days, like uh, everyone's looking for the two-for-one deals and the Durham stretching and, 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 and people are a bit more sensible. And lots of my, my um, private coaching clients have said, you know, COVID was a real eye-opener for them. And, you know, they were pilots that were partying and suddenly they have no job. Mm. And it forced them to uh, to start saving, to think about what they're spending money on. And they've continued that today. Right. If you don't have those saving muscles now, you'll never develop them. Mm. So a good scare like your your job getting cut or your pay getting cut by 50 percent actually does wake you up a bit. And you realize that you don't need to spend so much to be happy. And uh, it's not a particularly fun experience, but it's a very formative experience. And you come out the other side a stronger person. And that saving ability will be with you for the rest of your life. Because if you're a big spender in retirement, you're going to need a massive retirement portfolio. So, so it does help. That mild frugality is good.
0: And just finally, I mean, a lot of people, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong. It's an old journalistic trope, isn't it? The compare and contrast. Everyone likes to see how they're faring against others, be that personal uh, um, circumstances, or of course, in this case, a cost of living and cities, etc. But if things are just getting too tough for people at the moment, if people start to read this and go, you know, I've tried everything that I can, just can't make the numbers work. uh, I'm going to have to move to another city, etc. Again, Is this a good guide for people to be using if you were to relocate? Because that comes with its own costs anyway, doesn't it?
3: It does. Uh, Numbia is actually great for for looking at cost of living in other cities, planning a retirement, or planning a move. Um, that is helpful. I would say, like, don't feel alone in this. I, I think one amazing thing about the UAE is the strength of the the Facebook groups and the support you can get. Mm. You know, you can go to British Dads Dubai or Dirham Stretcher or Abu Dhabi Q and A, and you can post anonymously, and you just get a flood of support. People in the, who with good ideas who are in the same situation, so you don't have to feel alone if you're getting squeezed if there's a, a debt mountain piling up, uh, if, you're, if you're feeling like you you can't cope, like there is uh, support out there uh, that is crowdsourced and therefore probably more effective than anything else and any statistics. Steve, great
0: to have you here in uh, town at the moment. You're here for a couple of weeks, which is great news for all. But if people want to find out more, if people are searching for advice, how do they get in touch with the Dead Simple
3: team? Uh, just go to uh, deadsimplesaving.com and uh, we've got some workshops coming up ne- uh, over the weekend uh, or coaching, uh, whatever you need. Uh, I'm here to help you, especially because times are hard at the moment. So, yep. Steve,
0: love to see you as always. Thanks so much indeed for your time this morning and all the best for 24. Thank you very much. Steve Gronin, financial independence coach, founder of deadsimplesaving.com, live on the agenda. Agenda Hour 2 through until 1 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, Thank you very much indeed for being with us. Now, I'd imagine that your carbon footprint is the last thing on your mind when you head to the doctor. But with healthcare now, in fact, accounting for 5% of all global emissions, sustainability has become an increasingly pressing focus for the sector and for those thousands of delegates meeting at Arab Health in Dubai today. Of course, there's a reason for that footprint being so high when a steady power supply is essential to keeping life-saving equipment online. Power usage in our hospitals is, is, uh, well, it's always high. In fact, healthcare facilities use on average two to three times as much energy as traditional power systems. But can that be cut without compromising patient safety? That's a question that professionals are grappling with at the moment. Find out. I'm going to be joined now uh, on the line uh, by the environmental, social and governance director at Abu Dhabi's M42. Uh, Amy Lahoxy joins us now live this morning. Amy, much appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So I suppose the first question is why? A lot of people will take this for granted, but why, why is healthcare accounting for such a large, such a sizable carbon footprint?
1: So that's a really good point to note that if you look at the comparison, and I think you raised this in the introduction between, say, an office building and a hospital, the energy intensity of the building is about two to three times greater. Um, And that's a really important point to note, because we currently are in a climate health nexus. What does that mean? So we've got the World Health Organization reporting more than 13 million people dying each year due to climate-related illnesses. And at the same time, if healthcare was a country, it would be the fifth largest emitter in the world. So do we save lives or do we save the planet, Tom? That's the question.
0: The the next question that that begs as well is obviously this is a global concern. It's a concern for many the world over. But how significant concern is it for people like yourself and others within the industry itself?
1: It's a global concern that we need to address. And that's why at M42 we're shining a light on this fact. And we do this in two ways. So first and foremost, we look at prevention. So, we look at putting in place technology utilizing AI predictive modelling and our human genomics program to prevent people even entering the system and becoming patients in the first place. Because fewer patients means fewer emissions and less waste. Secondly, we're looking at our carbon footprint. So, we're shining a light on the fact that we are an energy intensive sector. And M42 has proudly entered our net zero journey and we've created a decarbonisation roadmap to take us to a low carbon future.
0: Industries across the globe are addressing these issues at the moment. Are Are there more specific challenges when it comes to the healthcare industry to cut emissions?
1: There are indeed challenges. First and foremost, it's looking at how we need to demystify the link between planetary health and human health. And we've just obviously finished our COP28 um, experience, which which brought together global leaders around the world. And for the first time in, in history, health was on the agenda. And that's really important because when we're looking at climate change and we're looking at changing climatic conditions and the impact that can have on humans... So, for example, we're seeing increased rainfall and temperature in new geographic locations, which is resulting in malaria coming up. And this is where we can use M42's AI predictive modelling, human genomics program and environmental genomics program to look at how these changing weather patterns around the globe are affecting communities and therefore we can proactively put in place services and healthcare facilities to minimise impacts on these communities, particularly those most at risk and vulnerable.
0: Interesting you mentioned COP28 there. Still looms uh, large in the memory, the dust just settling on the COP28 discussions. And I know that you and the rest of the team were heavily involved at COP. You mentioned there that issues were discussed, but were solutions also put on the table?
1: There were solutions put on the table. And what we'd like to do is look at some brilliant outcomes that came from COP, Mm. particularly within the healthcare sector. So COP is an opportunity to form outcomes-based partnerships. And we look at the healthcare sector. Again, I mentioned it was on the agenda. Within M42, for example, we were able to form partnerships. One important partnership we formed was with an entity called Siemens. So Siemens are currently going in across our facilities, doing an audit to understand what opportunities there are to improve our systems and performance. They're then in putting in place um, changes to our mechanical systems, for example, and that only not only makes sense from a cost perspective, but it also makes sense from a carbon perspective. <sighs>
0: You mentioned Siemens there, and other uh, technology giants are obviously investing heavily into the sector at the moment. is Is tech going to be one of the solutions that we are searching for here? How, um, I suppose what role will technology play in finding those solutions?
1: Yeah, technology are at the heart of the solutions really. We need to we need to recognise that indeed technology also has a carbon footprint, but the benefits include improved efficiencies. Improved understanding on planetary health, improved understanding on human health, and importantly, things like we've got a a, within Med forty within M forty two we've got a app called Med forty two. It's essentially a large language model where communities, patients can go into the app, ask a question, and get a high quality answer. That has a number of benefits it means people don't even need to get into the car drive to the hospital and enter the system to begin with and unfortunately as we know hospitals sometimes make people sicker so it's again looking at the benefits of technology as it relates to the healthcare sector
0: it's, it's, it's a unique challenge. Uh, it's interesting listening uh, throughout the course of the last hour or so, this unique challenge that the industry has. Obviously, as you've rightly said there, and the, the hard work that you and your team and others in the industry are putting in to to reduce that carbon footprint for the sector as a whole. But the same, you know, at the heart of the sector, the heart of the industry is patient care and not wanting to compromise that is going to be key. Is that is that one of the big challenges?
1: It is one of the big challenges, but... We believe that that both can be achieved. And all we need to do is look at inspirational uh, entities around the world. So one example that comes to mind is a hospital in Scotland. I know it's a very different climatic condition. (laughs) Very different to the area. Oh, it's a
0: bit cloudy today. (laughs) A bit cloudy,
1: but if in those conditions they're able to achieve a net zero hospital, we can as well hmm. so it's learning from the best and brightest from around the world they did this through smart design so not only putting in place you know the usual solar panels and renewables but through passive design measures making sure that their fleet is electric and again also putting in place preventative measures to avoid people even having to come to the hospital in the first place
0: Amy, can't thank you enough for your time this morning. Thanks also for uh, explaining a bit more about uh, the initiatives uh, that you and others in the industry are putting into place. Our, our big thank you to you for joining us live on The Agenda. Amy Lahoxie is the Environmental, Social and Governance Director at Abu Dhabi's M42. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
2: This is The Agenda
0: on Dubai Eye 103.8. Let's talk road safety here Uh, usually it's from the point of view of the drivers on our roads. But now some new startling figures from Dubai police show our roads are getting much safer for pedestrians too because the number of people being hit by cars on our roads is down. Not just down. They're down significantly, with eight people killed on the roads last year, compared to 20 the year before. And in part, police say that's down to encouraging safer behaviour, with more than 43,000 people fined 400 dirhams a time for jaywalking, Last year in 2023. What's more, more than 79,000 officers have now been through the force's pedestrian safety awareness campaign. To find out a bit more, I'm joined now on Teams by uh, from the security awareness team at Dubai Police, uh, Diana Gaddy, who joins us live on the line. Diana, thank you so much indeed for your time.
4: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
0: Congratulations to, to you and all the team for this the extraordinary results that we're seeing at the moment. A lot of that has to be put down to the awareness campaign that you and the rest of Dubai police have put into place in recent times uh, to reduce what is a sad number at the best of times. A dramatic drop in pedestrian deaths in recent times. What do you think is the key, uh, the key ingredient behind that success?
4: Uh, To be honest with you, I would say it's a combination. So as you mentioned, it's, uh, of course, awareness campaigns. So we're always trying to instill positive, uh, let's say, reinforcement, positive change. We're trying to modify people's behaviors through such campaigns. And at the same time, we enforce stricter laws and policies. So we're trying to battle it from both sides, basically. (sighs)
0: There may be listeners out there this morning, Dinah, who um, are still a little bit confused about the, the, the rules for pedestrians. And a lot of people will be taken back by that number I mentioned a bit earlier on, about 43,000 people fined for jaywalking. That's a significant number uh, in its own right. What are? The, can you just outline the rules for pedestrians?
4: So generally, as you also, I believe, mentioned earlier, we had a very successful campaign recently, which was called the Pedestrian Safety Awareness Campaign. This was one of our biggest running campaigns in 2023. And this campaign itself, uh, I guess you also mentioned, had over 79,000 beneficiaries. And the way that this campaign ran is that we tried to basically educate the public about how to cross safely. So just to cover a few points, you know, the main violations that we see or the main reason that people get fined nowadays is for jaywalking. But this specifically is talking about crossing at undesignated areas being distracted while crossing these areas you know which can result in unfortunately accidents or even sometimes deaths so we're trying to kind of encourage the public by giving them more information about using the correct uh, pathways like the zebra crossings using the uh, correct bridges so you know to not run across the road to not jump across the barriers on the highways of course which unfortunately we do see as well so these are some of the violations that we have observed that we're trying to control and maintain and the good thing is that these campaigns gave us an idea of the numbers and how people responded so we can enforce, you can say, more safety, whether it's through cameras, whether it's through surveillance or even just intervention of more police officers on site.
0: You mentioned earlier on, Dana, you know, that joint effort, Um, it's pedestrians having a better understanding of their responsibilities, motorists also playing their part as well. I mean, given the growth of this city at the moment, given the development that's going on, I'm thinking about the campaign that you and the rest of the pedestrian safety awareness, the security awareness team at Dubai Police would have to put in place to get that message across. Is that something that you're seeing results in? Are, Are pedestrians having a better understanding of the Responsibility that they bear?
4: I believe so. I mean, so far we've seen, well, as you already mentioned with the statistics, in 2023 the numbers went down by half, you know, which is quite significant and a very good, uh, let's say, effort on our behalf. And we believe it educates not only the pedestrians, it also uh, educates the, the drivers, so the motorists. So it's kind of an awareness which is going both ways and creating awareness for the driver to keep an eye out, you know, for people on whether they're walking or even we had a recent campaign which was regarding scooters. So keep an eye out for pedestrians, keep an eye out for scooter riders. So it did have a very positive impact.
0: With so many different nationalities, uh, so many different languages spoke, spoken in this extraordinary city as well, so many different communities as well, how do you go about getting the message across to all? How do you raise awareness about the rules on our roads?
4: So I I guess it depends on... Uh, let's say we target uh, different uh, areas or we target different groups. Of course, uh, motor safety is a little bit broader than other campaigns because it targets pretty much anyone who's driving. So we do use a very, let's say, creative way. We use uh, visuals, we use campaigns where we send out officers to speak to the people. Our officers speak many different languages. They speak English, Arabic, Russian, Urdu. So we have so much interaction with the community itself to kind of create this different kind of awareness, whether it's through posters whether it's through videos, we try to find a universal language that can appeal to the different segments of the community.
0: Let's turn our attention to the motorists if we can. And as as I mentioned in the intro, you know, quite often the big focus is on the motorists and the responsibilities they bear out there at the moment. Um, Do motorists here uh, have an obligation to keep pedestrians uh, safe? And is there a better awareness of that now?
4: I would say yes, for sure. So as I mentioned as well, that uh, this campaign in a way works both ways. So while we do have campaigns for pedestrians and for crossing safely, so this targets the pedestrian. At the same time, we also have campaigns that target the drivers. So we have an annual campaign, which is called A Day Without Accidents. So we try to re-emphasize the message that uh, we want to give to the motorists that day. So for example, we give people like a certificate of appreciation for participating in this campaign, And all we ask you to do is is to pay extra attention to the road, to not be distracted by your phone, to look around you and keep your eyes peeled, you know, just in case there are people walking when they shouldn't be walking. So we do try to reinforce this behavior, not only for pedestrians, but also for the motorists, because for sure it works both ways.
0: (laughs) It's interesting, the, the, this, the, the findings from this latest campaign as well when you look at the numbers, because a lot of people will look at the the roads at the moment it's obvious to see there are more cars on the roads, we're having uh, significant uh, periods of the day when there's uh, a lot of traffic being generated especially in the rush hours of the morning and the evening as, as well and yet, despite there being more people on the roads, we're seeing fewer deaths on those roads, which would suggest that the two don't have to equate, just because we've got more cars on the road doesn't mean we're going to have more accidents and more deaths.
4: Yeah, which is actually great for us. So you know, it kind of shows that Dubai police is ready to take on any kinds of challenges. So it is challenging for sure to deal with such an inflow of people, you know, and so many cars as well. But again, it gives us another chance to prove how successful we are in maintaining such safety or such high levels of safety.
0: And in terms of the campaign itself, is this something that is ongoing? Is this a message that you're constantly getting across to all those responsible?
4: Uh, Yeah, for sure. I feel almost all of our campaigns, they run uh, not necessarily on an annual basis. Some of our campaigns are on a monthly basis. So it depends, again, what specifically. But let's say we would have subcategories that relate to this campaign. So I'm not going to ruin the surprise, actually, because we do have (laughs) a campaign coming up. And we do have some more statistics coming up, but I'm not allowed to reveal those just yet.
0: Well, you know when you are allowed to reveal them, where, you're gonna, where you are more than welcome to come and reveal those. It's right That's here. True. I'm
4: going to call Dubai I. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, bless you. Thank you very much, Diana. A, thanks for your time this morning. Really appreciate uh, you time. giving us a bit more details on the background. And thank you so much indeed for the initiative as well. Uh, Diana Gaddy is the uh, from the security awareness team at Dubai Police. Joining us live on Teams this morning.
1: This
0: is The Agenda on Dubai I 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. Good to have you with us here on The Agenda, live on Dubai i 103.8. Now, if you've been down to Expo City this week, it's possible you needed... Or a pair of sunglasses, maybe even some shades for you. The neighbourhood is now uh, in the midst of its Dubai Light Festival 2024. Dozens of light-themed exhibits, activities and shows ongoing. If you're heading down there with the children over the course of the next couple of days, there's one workshop you won't want to miss. Lita of Light, a Filipino non-profit organisation that during Expo 2020 received an Impact Innovation Grant to allow it to grow its work supplying solar lighting to remote communities across the global south. Now, it's enlisting Dubai's children to build simple lighting systems that will soon be used to bring light to the floating villages of the Manabo tribe in Agusan Marsh over in the Philippines. Delighted to say I'm joined in the studio now by the founder... Of liter of like of liter of light uh, Elak Díaz,
2: who joins us live here in the studio, Elak thanks so much indeed for being with us and thanks for inviting it 's really nice because, as you know expo city has it 's not just a city but it 's a city with a purpose to make things greener but also a better future for all so uh, with Dai Dubai, uh, you'll see some of the top Emirati artists. I mean, some of the incredible ones uh, that will be there. Matar Bin Lahej, the Museum of the Future guy. I mean, these are big guys. But you will also see that it has a purpose. And this purpose is really to to share that light, right? So with that brightness, uh, they will be making by hand, by hand, solar lights. Uh, That will last for the next five years. Uh, And it can be built by these two hands, right? And uh, we're inviting children uh, to give us 30 minutes of their time. And it will be given to 1,600 families in this Manobo tribes. Uh, What happened here was it's a marsh uh, that with climate changes, it's flooded. So the regular ways of getting electricity has been cut. So it's flooded. It's one of the biggest marshes. Uh, in Southeast Asia. And so this would allow uh, Expo City from this festival of light to share that lights to others. And we do it uh, on a very personal level. Uh, we ask them to put sweat equity, and that sweat equity will go and ship directly uh, to these tribes in the next two months.
0: So you've got children helping to build and construct the lights. Is yeah. that right? And then how do you quantify the impact that they're going to have?
2: Right. So uh, you would understand that kerosene lamps are the de facto way to do it. So they consume almost 35 percent of their income, you know, selling raw vegetables. So really, really low income. But they use 35 percent of that uh, to light up their houses. And so what happens with solar is you get rid of that. You can charge it for the next five years. So you save all that money for better education, better food. Uh, but more than that is the fact that our technology is open source. So right here, uh, you know, I was not, unfortunately, at the opening at the Dai Dubai and the And that's because uh, Expo City... Uh, gave me funds to light it in Kenya. So over here, you'll see we make it out of pottery. And then with uh, four simple parts, uh, you could build a solar light that can charge itself. The nice thing there is you can fix it with a screwdriver. Mm. Before, we used to donate lights. You know, you buy it manufactured, imported. They're very expensive. And then after a year and a half, it breaks down. So if we had like a million lights today, uh, having this, you know, closed circuit made in a factory uh, in about a year and a half, it all breaks down. So it, everybody has to put money together again to buy again. So they're uh, easily maintained at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is uh, LEDs for motorcycles. So mm. if it breaks, you go to a motorcycle <laughs> shop. You cut it off. It's twelve volts. Or just go to a motorcycle. Or yeah. Or just or, don't tell the driver you're yeah, taking their LED. Like, why, is, why? is half of my turn signal not working? <laughs> uh, and also the solar lights. A lot of people don't understand that uh, <laughs> the US ones and the European ones are five volts. So we have what is laser our laser cutters, and we cut it down. You can cut solar panels that are too big and reduce them to two watts, which is what we need. So these are really like, you know, it might be a small LED, but what's interesting is, you know, we have 212 staff. We help a million people a year. We have no single factory. Everything's done by hand. And if you go to the exhibits at uh, Dai Dubai, you'll see this artwork by Dabia Lamla. Mm. And it's called Sisters of the Desert Project. And it's really meaningful to me because most of this are done by women. They have women cooperatives that used to sell kerosene, your first question, Mm -hmm. and they used to bring in drums from the city and then partial them out in small little, you know, small little uh, cans. Right. And then they used to put a wick and fire it up. But they used to get. This inhalation used to be toxic, and at the same time, if kids tip it over, you get third-degree burns or the house burns. Very dangerous to have this kerosene. Now, what's happening is they're shifting into solar. So we're teaching them how to build it and maintain it and get the parts from the nearest city. What's interesting with this kind of movement is it makes ourselves obsolete. Instead of selling them solar lights every two years, they can now make it out of bamboo, recycled plastics like what you will see uh, in, in Dai Dubai, and also pottery that we do in, in, in countries, depending what on, on, on what they have. But everything is repairable and every part you can buy locally. So we don't have an in- import-export. Everything is built up We start with 100 and next thing you know, like in Brazil, in the Amazon, uh, we have almost 2,000 beneficiaries Mm. and we never brought the lights there from abroad. Everything has to be built locally.
0: So it's Dubai Light Festival for now, but you can scale this as well, yeah?
2: Right. So it's it's really interesting because uh, sometimes you don't see the bigger picture by asking kids to build one light at a time. But we broke the world record. Uh, in 2018, by getting you know uh, hundreds of young kids, you know age uh, three to twelve, uh, age six to twelve, and they built a solar light, and we broke the world record for the largest solar artwork mm. by putting them together. That is that was a thousand two hundred. Somebody broke the world record uh, recently in Taiwan, one thousand five hundred twenty. But uh, starting with Dai Dubai. Uh, We're starting to teach kids, and we're hoping to reach 3,000 lights uh, by March. But it's all powered by the young, all powered by the youth. And each of that will light a home. So each kid building a light will go directly to light up another kid's life. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be really meaningful. And that's why instead of just building it, uh, what's important to us is the engagement of the young people so they feel that It makes a difference.
0: Eli, we have about 30 seconds remaining. How can people get involved?
2: So, right now, you know, please come. Uh, We're there from six o'clock to. Ten o'clock every day uh, next to the Al Wasal. Yeah. So you'll see the artworks, but you're going to see a workshop right there where we will have kids building these solar lights. And so please, list, we we have a list over there, and you can make a light that will change lives forever. Basically, that LED uh, that you know that screwdriver that you'll put together makes a big difference in sharing that 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 you know that that single yeah. light to bring them out of darkness. So please come. To Dubai and come to the Litter of Light booth, where we're expecting it to make a difference in the world.
0: Dubai Light Festival ongoing up at Expo City. Go and say hi to Elak and the rest of the team. Elak uh, Diaz, thank you so much indeed for joining us. Uh, thank you, the very founder much. of liters of Light, uh, shining a light on some of the work that he and the rest of the team are trying to do. So go and join in and be part of it. Time now for uh, us to look at some of the uh, big talkers of the day, none more so than the sports. So let's dive in uh, to the sports headlines. Yesterday was a busy one, that's for sure. Chris McCarty uh, was live down at his daughter's sports day. Um, still don't know how he fared in the dad's race at his daughter's sports day. If anyone else does, then please do let us know. You can text us on 4001. In the meantime, though, Chris has been kind enough to uh, just have a little look at today's latest sporting headlines.
5: Well, very good morning, Tom. Happy Tuesday. Find me this morning, not on a school sports day. You find me on the golf course. Free plug for Jumera Golf Estates. We're on the 6th on fire. I've got Dwight York as my partner in crime. And we're two down. Dwight's playing well. I'm playing bleep. Right, let's get you up to date with the football. Well, in fact, let me update you on the dad's race yesterday. Let's just say, Tom, I made it through heat one, and that was about it. Usain Bolt, I am not. I'm nowhere close. Uh, Right, let's get to the football updates. Let's start there. Marcus Rashford, repentant after his... Late night out in Belfast, well documented, left out of Manchester United's FA Cup tie against Newport County at the weekend. That because he was in Belfast on Wednesday and Thursday, cried in sick on Friday. Eric Ten Hag said he would deal with it. He has dealt with it. Manchester United have said that uh, the matter has been dealt with internally and that Marcus has taken responsibility for his actions. Whatever that does mean, I think Marcus Rashford in Manchester United, a match made in heaven, they are not interested to see what kind of comes of that over the course of the next few months Marcus Rashford could he be a Manchester United player beyond the summer I think there are doubts there I wonder about Eric Ten Hag his future as well but watch this space on that staying with FA Cup action Blackburn 4-1 winners over Wrexham the final tie of the fourth round last evening uh, a good win that, that for Blackburn they actually fell one behind I watched this one of Dwight's former team Blackburn they came back to win 4-1 Yondal Thomason has done a solid job at Ewood Park and Blackburn safely in to the next round as for asian cup action tonight we switch now from club football to international football and there's a real good tie a little later 8 p.m kickoff knockout stages of course the united arab Emirates already out but south korea managed by jurgen klinsman they take on saudi arabia managed Roberto Mancini so those two footballing legends those two wonderful strikers as they were back in their day they collide and that's a cracker I'll be watching that one a little later tonight as well Uh, Premier League action gets underway this evening a few matches to look ahead to the biggest one this week though of course it is Liverpool against Chelsea that one from Anfield and just sticking with Liverpool Virgil van Dijk admitting that he well he can't give a guarantee that he will stay at the club beyond Jurgen Klopp's departure he feels that he He may well be surplus to requirements. I'm also having uh, good sources tell me that keep an eye on Diego Simeone for the Liverpool job as well. He hasn't been mentioned by many, but it's my understanding that Diego Simeone does interest one or two at boardroom level at Liverpool. So worth keeping an eye on that. And yeah, that's about it. Football's my lot today. I'm focusing on my own golf game. Going to get back to it. I've got a putt for par. We're two down. Wish us luck. Cheers, Tom.
0: Big thanks to Chris McCarty and Mike Drop moment. Dwight York, uh, the former Manchester United striker. They're both up. uh, Well, that was on the sixth, so they're probably in the back nine up at JGE at the moment. He's got it good, is not he, old McCarty. Fell flat on his face in the dad's race yesterday, up playing a bit of golf this morning. Uh, Blessed. Blessed life. Uh, we've also got the DP World I L T Twenty ongoing at the moment. Just remember that couple of games uh, taking place over the course of the next uh, twenty four hours. We've got Desert Vipers taking on the Mumbai Indian Emirates uh, game as uh, match fifteen of the DP World I L T Twenty. Uh, that's at the Dubai International Stadium tonight. In fact, uh, should you wish to want to go and watch a bit of world class cricket uh, with some of the best players from around the world, so that is in action down here in Dubai. And then tomorrow the action turns to Abu Dhabi where uh, the Abu Dhabi Night Riders take on the Gulf Giants in Match 16 uh, of the tournament. That one also getting off at 6.30pm tomorrow evening at Zayed Cricket Stadium. Lots then to talk about from the world of sport. Lots also to talk about from the world uh, of the UAE as a whole. News coming through in the last 24 hours that Ras al Khaimah property developer Marjan has unveiled big plans for a major commercial and residential district in the Hamra area of of the... um uh, of the Emirate. Uh, that's going to include a three million square foot uh, area of rentable office space and more than 4,000 apartments and three hotels. Rack Central, as it will be known, is going to be located uh, on Sheikh Mohammed bin Salim al-Khasmi Street. It's also having going to have parks, green spaces, retail entertainment options and a lot of interconnected buildings. Marjan yesterday during the announcement saying that the development which will have views of the Al-Hamra Golf Club and the Arabian Gulf will be the largest CBD or commercial business district anywhere in the Northern Emirates. Um, will be developed in phases, will be delivered in phases as well, but interesting to see the Northern Emirates uh, continuing to develop, especially in light of the demand for property, not just in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, but across the whole of the UAE at the moment. So news coming out of Ras al-Khaimah, similar news coming out of Al Ain as well overnight as well, uh, with the news that they're going to be undergoing a major transformation in um, uh, of its infrastructure and road structures. Uh, they're going to replace their historic roundabouts, Ain, of course the city of roundabouts, renowned for its roundabouts. Uh, they are going to be replaced with underpasses, bridges and traffic lights. So very much a changing of the guard uh, in Lane, uh, aiming to reduce travel times, enhance traffic flow and improve efficiency. This news coming through from Aberdeen's DMT uh, which said that the city's revamp will take place again in stages with its historic sculptures moved to alternative Alternative locations to preserve the city's heritage. So uh, they're not doing away with the famous uh, teapot, uh, clock tower, and other roundabouts, but they will be relocating and moving them to alternative spaces.